A star-spanning saga of ancient magic and deep science, vividly told by a modern master, says Dave Gibbons. Kelly Sue DeConnick states, the kind of epic you crave, both noun and adjective. And that doesn't even quite capture Liam Sharp's astonishing scope and vision. There's magic in these pages. Matt Fraction calls it jaw-dropping and epic and massive. He also says this is a gorgeous and incredible and massive swing for the stars that declares his ambitions have taken him to some exciting and undiscovered territories. Bravo, congrats, cheers, and exhale. This is glorious. What are they all talking about? Liam Sharp's upcoming six-issue series, Starhenge, from Image Comics. Liam himself says of the series, I wanted to do my own Image comic for 30 years. I wanted to do a Merlin comic for even longer than that. This is a culmination of so many dreams and ambitions of mine finally being realized, and that makes it the most exciting and personal comic project I've ever done. I can't wait to see it on the shelves. It's also been described as a mashup of the Green Knight and Terminator with all the Arthurian legends, time travel, and killer robots that entails, plus Merlin, Magic, and Mayhem. The first issue debuts in comic shops on July 6th, with final order cut off on June 13th. So now's the time to tell your retailers to order you a copy. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. And it's Jay. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for June 14th, 2022. Pretty solid week. I will remind everybody, as always, that if you're looking for the reviews for DC stuff, we do spoilers, and we do those on the DC Spotlight on Tuesday, uh, myself along with Rocky from the Comic Boom YouTube channel. So head over to YouTube, do a search for Comic Boom, or listen to the audio only version uh, that came out yesterday, but again, be prepared. There are, are spoilers. We go deep into the stories and I, I will say as a word of warning, Rocky and I did not see eye to eye on many of the books and discussion got a little heated uh, at times uh, for our reviews. So uh, that being said, Wednesdays as always are spoiler free. Jay and I are going to talk about 14 books that are hitting the stands today. And then we'll do a rundown on some other titles that you might want to be on the lookout for today. There's some really great books that came out this week. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how you feel, Jay, but I had a really great time uh, reading the books this week. But let's kick it off from Image. Uh, this is one of the books that I really enjoyed, uh, but Jay's going to talk about it first. It's A Town Called Terror. We're up to issue number three. It's written by Steve Niles. Fantastic art by Simon Kradansky. Transformation is the name of this issue. Oh, and I should also mention the letters are by Marshall Dillon. What do you think? Oh, man. Well, what else can you expect from uh, Steve Niles? You know, a good horror book. It's uh, got a lot of... Uh, so, a lot of questions are answered about the family, um, but we know Henry uh, kind of shows uh, why uh, he considers himself a monster, so it's kind of cool. Um, I guess one of the gangs called Franks. I guess we can see why they're called Franks. It's kind of interesting. It's like, okay. And... 
he got another story actually in the story because he got his uh, uh, wife, Julia, still trying to figure out where her husband went. And, you know, Henry's there because his father wants him there to help out uh, with the family issue. And then we meet uh, his brothers in the story, which is pretty cool. Um, like I said, it's just a, a really drawn good book, like you said. Uh, the stories, uh, it wants you wanting more, I guess you can say, because it's like, man, it's like, uh, I want to know what's what's going on. You know, where's the mother? It's just a, a good horror story. I just, I, I like it a lot. It's one of my favorite books. Yeah. Uh, I mean, here's the thing about it. It's it's 100% quality over quantity because it is a little bit of a slower paced book. But you don't mind that because you want the big panels. You want Simon Kardansky to, to sort of do his own thing and uh, give us these big um, these big scenes, you know, with a lot of nuance, not, you know, necessarily tons of detail, but a lot of emotion in the art. Um, and yeah, that gang Frank short for Frankenstein, as we saw last issue, um, it was a, it was a really brutal scene. And that, that's when you kind of knew when that happened that you, you were going to be in for Steve Niles at his best. Um, so I, I don't know that that scene last issue again, the, the, we're not, not spoiling anything for this issue. Um, but when Henry, he basically confronts one of the gang members, you know, Frank, it's the short for Frankenstein. So it's like a monster to stitch together. And Henry rips the Frankenstein monster's arm out of its socket, like, you know, breaks the stitches or whatever, just rips it off and beats the guy unconscious with it. It's brutal. Um, so yeah, that being said, this is this is not a book for kids. It's definitely very mature, um, and I just thought the storytelling, especially the visual storytelling, was really really great. Kordansky's using a lot of symbology, and a circle seems to be a, a symbol he keeps going back to time and time again uh, as he transitions. I just thought it was fantastic. So, all right, up to uh, my first book that I'm going to talk about. Uh, it is Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. The art is by Carmen Caniero. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Colors by Nolan Woodard. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. I, I really, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the Falcon. And it's not that I mind the Falcon, you know, being Captain America. What I don't like, and I don't, this, this goes for any character. I don't like multiple, you know, I love Miles Morales as a character, but I don't like multiple characters with the exact same name in the exact same universe. Like when Miles was over in the ultimate universe, it was fine. But now that he's in the same universe, he needs to change his name. Like, or Peter Parker needs to retire. There needs to just be one. And that's the thing that I don't like about it. And if Steve Rogers is going to be Captain America, then Stan Wilson needs to go back to being Falcon. Like there's a hundred Batman right now. Like I, I just, I don't care for it. I, I just don't. Um, so that being said, I wasn't super surprised that I'm enjoying this a lot more than I enjoyed the first issue of uh, the, the other Captain America series st starring Falcon. As much as that had an, an interesting hook, this one feels bigger in scope. It feels like the stakes are bigger Uh and it, it feels like Lansing and Kelly are really going to give us some uh, kind of a mystery for Cap to solve that's rooted in the very earliest of his origins. Uh, and, you know, as much as Sam Wilson's been around since the 70s, 
he doesn't have anywhere near the rich backstory because he hasn't been developed as much as Steve Rogers. So, you know, that's another aspect of this uh, that I really enjoyed. So, um, yeah, the, the art's fantastic. Uh, if, if anything, I do wish, uh, minor nitpick here, I do wish that the panels were a little bit bigger so I could see a little bit more of the detail in the beautiful Carmen Kinnear art. Like the first page has 12 panels, you know, and so you're kind of losing a little bit. But um, I think the reason for that is because Kelly and Lansing, again, are, are they're telling a, this is a big story. You know, it's like 30 pages. Um, it's very dense. A lot of stuff happens. And so you kind of need the smaller panels. If you did larger panels to see the art, then the story is going to go by that much quicker. It's not going to, uh, you're not going to be able to get as much story. So, it, you know, it's a delicate balance to strike. So it's like, I almost, and I know this is very coming from a very privileged place. Obviously we get press previews, um, but I, you know, I still bought the, the issue. I kind of feel like, uh, let me pay an extra dollar and get another 10 pages and, and give me bigger panel art, you know? And I know that a lot of people are going to be like, what comics are so expensive already. And I totally get it. So um, I'll just have to suffer through um, some smaller art, but uh, at least, you know, we, we get big art on the cover. She does a fantastic job on the main cover. It's just gorgeous. So I'm a big fan. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I, it's been a while since I have read Captain America on a month in month out basis, even though I was uh, trying to go back and build my Captain America run. Uh, I haven't actually read it in, in quite a while. So I, I I'm enjoying coming back to it. Uh, all right. Up next for Jay, we have uh, bunny mask. This has been a, a favorite title of ours for quite a while. Uh, Paul Tobin is the writer. Andrea Moody is the artist. Taylor Esposito does the letters. This is um, issue number two. Uh, and it's uh, it's the second volume. First one was just called Bunny Mask. This is Bunny Mask of the Hollow Inside. Um, so yeah, I was talking about a big chunk of story. This one felt pretty pretty good as well. What do you think? Oh, I like it because uh, now we find a little more about B. You know, she's uh, letting out with her friends. You know that she's met over the years of what she's missing and more into the of her character, which is kind of nice. Cause like I said, the first years, we didn't really know much about B except, you know, she was a little girl and now she's an adult and she's kind of got a thing for Tyler who helped her out. So I like that aspect of the story. I always love the artwork. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite books, of course. And uh, whenever you send me books, this is the first thing I read, of course, cause you know, it's always my book of the week because of the story and the characters. That being said, we also got the, the villain, which is he's on the cover and we know that his name is Hollow and that, that character is back. So um, Bunny Mask is on the hunt trying to, you know, uh, get him. And we all see that there's still a, a thing going on with Tyler and Bunny Mask and I guess be at the same time. But uh, it's definitely a good book. Uh, it's a great story. So I'm, I just can't wait for the next issue to see what's going on next. Yeah, it's. I feel like this issue, we got more, we got answers to more context for more of the characters than we ever had before. We have a better understanding of the, the this hollow villain. We have a better understanding of Bunny Mass than ever before. We have more context for B. Um, you know, we even get some insight into Tyler and, and what he provides Bunny Mask. Um, so, uh, yeah. It's, it's moving along well. I think you and I both, as much as we enjoyed that first volume, 
we, you know, came to a conclusion with issue five and we still had almost the same number of questions, maybe even more questions at the end of issue five than we did at the beginning of the series. Um, so it's great that we're getting uh, some answers finally. Uh, all right. Up next for me, we have uh, Ben Riley Spider-Man. This is issue number five. It's the final issue of the series written by J.M. Demetrius. David Baldion is the artist. Israel Silva is the colorist and Joe Caramani does letters. Uh, I really enjoyed the humanity that Demetrius brought to the story. Um, you know, we, we, JM was on not too long ago and we, we talked a lot about the series. I think it was after issue three had come out and how it compares to one of his favorite books, Brothers Karamazov um, by Dostoevsky. And, you know, he was talking about Spider-Side as, as the fourth brother. He really leans into that. I mean, Spider-Side was revealed as a kind of the surprise villain behind everything. Uh, and this doesn't necessarily end the way that you think it will. But it, again, it leans into the humanity of, of who Peter is. And, you know, I say Peter, it's obviously this is Ben Riley, but, you know, whether it's Spider-Side or Kane or Ben Riley, they're all clones of Peter. So at the end of the day, who Peter is at his core should be in these characters that are cloned from him for the most part. Um, so it really leans into that, you know, idea. And whether you want to say Peter, you want to say Spider-Man, humanity is such an integral part of that character. And I love that Demetrius, even though he's going back and, you know, mining from uh, a story from the nineties with the clone saga and whatnot, that he doesn't lose sight of that. And so I thought it was really fantastic. And the David Baldion art is really fantastic, especially paired up with the colors. The colors are nice and bright. It feels like a traditional superhero story. So I got to give credit to uh, Israel Silva, the colorist for that. And uh, what, what Baldion's art does is it, it helps the story feel a little more modern, even though obviously it is set back in, in that time period um, right after the clone saga, it, it does feel modern. And uh, I'm not sure what's to come next. If, if there is more from Demetrius, but at the end, there's a full page splash that says coming soon, Spider-Man, the lost hunt. So I don't know if that means more Ben Riley Spider-Man um, and, you know, maybe another sort of what if tale. Cause that, I mean, this, this one's in continuity when uh, Peter and Mary Jane were off in the uh, Pacific Northwest, but you know, is there more, I mean, when you hear the name Dem and again, it, the, the, the splash page doesn't say it's going to be Demetrius. Uh, reading it, but the fact of the matter is he did, or writing it, I should say, but the fact of the matter is he did write this. And then you see spider, you know, Spider-Man book and you see the word hunt and you can't help but think of Craven's last hunt, which is maybe the most famous Spider-Man story that Demetrius ever did. Maybe one of the most famous Spider-Man stories ever. And so are we going to get a, you know, a Ben Riley version of the Craven last hunt or something like that? Like, I, I just don't know. So I guess we'll have to wait and see because obviously at this point, Craven's supposed to be dead, right? He hasn't been brought back yet. So um, yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, I'm definitely on board for more Demetrius written Spider-Man. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. 
Uh, okay, up next for Jay from Image is Slumber. Chapter four, Swan Song. It's written by Tyler Burton Smith. Illustrator is Vanessa Cardinali. Colors are by Simon Robbins. Letters by Steve Wands. Uh, I haven't been reading any of this, so what's it all about? <laughs> well, pretty much the story focuses around uh, Stetson. She goes into people's dreams and she, like, you know, destroys. Oh, uh, that's people. right. I did read the first. I read. Yeah. I did read the first issue. I don't know why I fell off. It, the first issue was really good. Yeah. So yeah, she she runs like basically like a a version of like a detective agency, right? Right. But but she solves mysteries and dreams or protects people from their nightmares or whatnot. Right. She kills your your nightmares. I keep yeah. repeating. So that's that's her job. But she's also after a, a, a one that keeps like haunting her. Uh, I guess a demon in the dreams, uh, Akira. And this other guy named Finch, he's a detective. He keeps having of the same character. So she, he goes to her for help. So that's how they, these two characters meet with the same, you know, villain in, in the, in the dream. So we get a little more backstory in this one about her and, you know, why she's after this character and all that. Um, it's good because uh, this villain is very manipulative and she tricks them both. So it's, it's just a really good story. It's been fun. And like I said, I'm surprised you kind of dropped off it, but it's been a fun story. And I just like that whole uh, concept of her trying to go in there and, you know, kill your, your night, your, your, your nightmares have been haunting you, but also find a little more stuff about her of, uh, of uh, what she does and how she does it. So it's a pretty fun story. I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's good. Yeah. I think, I think I might've read the, I might have read issue one, like right after we finished talking about it, right after we recorded the episode, whatever week it came out, because I don't think I read it before. And then you talked about it and I was like, oh, that sounds really good. I'm going to read it. And I read it right after we you finished talking about it, right after we recorded the episode. And then I think when issue two came out, I honestly forgot that I had read issue one. And I'm like, oh, I can't read that because I haven't read issue one because I forgot <laughs> that I had read it. So now I'm now I'm three issues behind. I'll probably have to go back and read issue one so I can remember what happened. So uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, next book I'm going to talk about is Fantastic Four. This is number 44. It's Reckoning War, Sacrifice Everything. It's the next to last issue of Reckoning War. And um, I sort of feel like Reckoning War deserved to be, uh, you know, as much as I, I you don't want too many crossovers and, you know, big events where you got to buy all this sort of stuff. I mean, the fact of the matter is reckoning war dance lot, you know, conceived a bit 20 years ago or whatever. It's been a long time in the making and I feel like it deserved to be a little bit bigger than just a in fantastic four event, especially because it's so huge. Like we, we talked about it when we talked about the first issue or hinted at it anyway. I mean, the moon gets blown up. So first of all, if the moon gets blown up, there's going to be all kinds of ecological disasters um, because of the, you know, we don't have the gravity of the moon there anymore. And, you know, I mean, I think there's that movie Moonfall or whatever. I heard it was really terrible with um, Halle Berry or whatever. But regardless, you know, the moon's not crash is not crashing into the earth or whatever. But, you know, it's it blew up and there's definitely going to be consequences um and you know wouldn't parts of the moon be like falling to earth and what have you but anyway um just based on on that right the fact that the moon gets blown up you would think okay well isn't aren't other heroes going to realize the moon was blown up 
So shouldn't we see, shouldn't we see the effects of that in some other Marvel comics? Um, but obviously we're not seeing that. So I, I don't know. I, I, again, I just feel like it's such a big event. It, uh, it should be, we should see it reflected in some other books. That being said, standing on its own, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and as he has throughout Dan Slott really leans into the idea of the fantastic four as a family. Um, and I, I really like, like he never loses sight of that, no matter how crazy things get, no matter how much action there is, he never loses sight of that. So uh, the artists for this particular issue, we've got three, we've got Andrea DeVito, David, uh, David Tinto and Rachel Stott. And they all do a fantastic job. Um, very seamless. I, I was never pulled out of the story by, you know, a changing art style. Uh, I think they all did a really fantastic job of, you know, presenting their art in, in a very similar way. Jesus Arbatov is the color artist as he has been from the beginning of this run. It's been fantastic as well. Joe Caramani on letters. So I, I'm really enjoying this. It feels cosmic. It feels epic leaning into the idea of the watchers and giving us context for them. We get to see Nick Fury. We get to see silver surfer. We get to see a new version of Galactus. Uh, we get to see She-Hulk. We get to see Jack of hearts. Um, yeah, I mean, this was just a fantastic issue. And uh, I think it's 30 pages, so it's a little bit bigger than, than the average uh, issue as well. So uh, I'm really enjoying it. I would definitely recommend to anybody who's even mildly interested in the Fantastic Four to pick this up, the, the Reckoning War in Trade, once it's all collected. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. Uh, all right, next up for Jay, we have another Aftershock title that, debuted i really enjoyed it uh it's by writer paul tobin same writer actually that does bunny mask uh alberto albuquerque is the artist mark englert does the colors taylor esposito on letters and it's called a calculated man what do you think like you said it's the the writer so i was like well i'm gonna read this because i I like his work it was fun um we meet a new character uh his name is jack beans he's uh an accountant but he's got like super memories like way He's, he does like work. He works for the mafia. That's what we find out in the story. It's nothing, nothing hidden there. It's like he works for the mob. Uh, he's good at math, but he's so good that he, you know, he knows that uh, eventually they're going to take him out because he knows way too much. And he remembers everything, like the time of day, the people walking. He knows he's got like an amazing memory. So we also meet the uh, two uh, officers that he works with as an informant to, you know, take down the the mob so he can, you know, uh, have protection. But he's also got his own uh, plans, like what he wants to do. And it's just that the, the way that he thinks and how smart he is, you're like, OK, this is going to be good because it makes him like almost uh, like a perfect killer, so to speak, because he calculates everything. So he doesn't leave anything behind. It's, it's fun. I'm, I'm looking for the next issue. So it's so far, it's been a fun run. But if you like uh, some a lot of action and a lot of like betrayal, I think this is going to be the story for people. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of the movie Limitless with um, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, because <laughs> he's so smart. Yeah, he remembers like every detail. First of all, he observes everything like he sees everything. We're told that he sees numbers in colors and he remembers everything. So he remembers like time of day. Like if you ask him, you know, where were you on, you know, September 27th, 1998 at like 3, 17 p.m. He'll tell you he's like, oh, I was in this coffee shop and this song was playing and the barista was wearing you know these clothes and like it's just amazing what the guy can do so really really fun but at the same time you know he's not a he's not a killer and he's not a criminal 
he's just a guy that's really, really good at math and, and sort of has all those type of answers, a little, little socially awkward. Um, and he also, you know, he knows he's human. He knows, yeah, I'm super smart, but I make mistakes just like, you know, regular people do. So he's very self-aware also. I, 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 it was so good. It was so good. It, it, like Paul Tobin has been uh, a writer that you and I have both become a fan of from his work at Aftershock. He's been doing fantastic stuff. So of course I paid attention when, you know, first of all, when we heard the hook, Oh, this guy that, you know, knows all the angles and is super smart and, and the mobs after him. Um, it just sounded interesting, you know? And then, right. Oh wait, Paul Tobin's writing it. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. You know? Um, so I was, I was prepared to enjoy it, uh, but it even succeeded those expectations that I had. So really, really fantastic. Uh, all right. Up next for me from Marvel is Iron Man. We're up to issue number 20 written by Christopher Cantwell. Art is by Angel Unzieta. Colors by Frank Diarmana. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Um, Tony Stark pops the question. I won't spoil the uh, answer, um, but Marvel's been promoting the heck out of it. So um, you should be prepared for that. Uh, unless, I mean, if you're reading Iron Man, you know all about Tony Stark and Hellcat and their relationship and whatnot. So I can't say too much more about the issue than that um, because that's pretty much the, the focus of it. Um, but, you know, we, we also have some fallout of what happened in the, the latest quarterback saga with Tony confronting the fact that he got addicted to morphine because of the physical injuries that he suffered in battling Corvac. And so, you know, at the end of last issue, Tony goes into rehab. And now we, we basically have a three month time jump before the beginning of this issue between last issue and this issue. Um, so Patsy shows up to, uh, you know, to pick him up from, um, from rehab. And then, you know, it, the story goes from there. So uh, we do get a little bit of Tony sort of reintroducing himself back into, I don't say back into society, but, kind of back into public eye, you know, he, he has taken a leave of absence from, um, from Stark international. So, uh, you know, he's not back taking over the company or whatnot, but I think he, he says, you know, he wants to get in front of the narrative and, you know, people publicly know that he's an addict and, and whatnot. So, you know, he wants to show that he's not trying to hide or, or whatnot. So, uh, again, I thought it, it's a great series. I think that Christopher Cantwell is a, is a fantastic writer, especially when it comes to um, giving us a Tony Stark that is, it has his roots back in the, the classic Tony Stark, not the Robert Downey Jr. version that's, you know, more self-deprecating and snarky. Uh, Cantwell's Stark is much more serious. Uh, and I, I like that about him. So, uh, okay, up next for Jay is Do a Powerbomb wrestling comic from Daniel Warren Johnson's debut issue. Warren Johnson writes it, he draws it, uh, Spicer does the colors, and Russ Wooten is on letters. What's this one all about? Well, it's it's for definitely for people who like wrestling, and uh, so that, that guy got me. I, I like wrestling, so I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And like I said, um, the art is a I think for me, it hits and miss um, the story, you know, what, what, what it's about. 
when he did Wonder Woman uh, miniseries, I was like, okay, you know, I, I expected a little, I didn't expect that kind of artwork for that, but for this story about the gritty world of wrestling, it makes more sense. But it pretty much focuses the story around uh, Lona and her mother, because uh, she's a pro, pro wrestler and she wants to follow her mother's footsteps. Um, there's kind of a turmoil between the family because of this whole uh, mother being in wrestling. And the father doesn't want her daughter to, you know, be a wrestler as, you know, follow the footsteps, which is kind of interesting because I guess some people don't want them to do that. You know, it's kind of a dangerous world. The ending, though, <clears throat> is what I guess was uh, the whole story is like, I guess around it's like a uh, necromancer, you know, approaches her, you know, for like uh, to to try a different stage, so to speak. So it's kind of fun. It's it's different. Um, but like I said, if, if you're not a wrestling fan, I don't think it's really for you, but there's a lot of wrestling fans out there. And the artist, I think he's got a big enough fan base that people follow just because of his artwork, too. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Dan, Dan Warren Johnson's hugely popular. So, uh, yeah, if you're into wrestling, definitely give it a try. Uh, all right. Up next for me from Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, uh, Undiscovered Country. We're getting a special. I'm not sure why this wasn't just in the regular series of Undiscovered Country, but uh, it's called Destiny Man, who's basically the, the villain or the bad guy in the Undiscovered Country title. And this Destiny Man one shot is giving us his origin. Basically, we get to know like, who he is, where he came from. Kind of comes as a surprise. Uh, but it's a very welcome surprise. And you realize that you know, the family that's sort of at the heart of uh, of this undiscovered country title is is even more important to the United States than you realize, you know, because undiscovered country is the story of the United States um, where they, uh, they, they close their borders and time has passed faster. Uh, and so it's kind of a, become this post-apocalyptic world. So destiny man uh, art is by Giuseppe Camincoli and Leonardo Marcelo Grassi colors by Matt Wilson letters by crank. It's the same creative team that does the regular, uh, the regular series, but I was blown away by this. I thought it was really, really good. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, probably better than, a, than a lot of the recent issues of the series, just because we've been following this group that's, you know, gone back in, found their way back into America and has seen all the changes that's been, been going on as they're sort of traveling around uh, and it's felt very fast paced and very uh, adventure filled with adventure, but we haven't been getting a lot of answers. And I think that's what I enjoyed about this one that we got a, got a lot of answers uh, specifically about the destiny man. Um, but we haven't had a lot of answers in the series overall. So uh, I, I definitely enjoyed that. Uh, all right. Up next for, Jay, we've got uh, Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood, Three Stories, The Empty Tomb by Benjamin Percy and Vanessa R. Del Rey, A Hard Day's Night from David Pepos, Leonardo Romero, and Chris Sotomayor, and then Blood Red Glider from Patrick Zercher. What do you think? Well, I do like Moon Knight, so I like the character a lot. Um, so I was looking forward to this because I guess it's everybody's been doing like Black, White, and Blood. I mean, we've had what uh, Electra. And uh, Wolverine, so I guess we're just going to keep doing the series, I guess. <laughs> but the three stories are pretty cool. The first one, The Empty Tomb, uh, that was my favorite one, I think, of all of them because of the story. Um, 
we kind of see more about uh, him not wanting to, you know, keep doing this. So he asks a, a favor from a, a friend, which is interesting because he goes to this person, but that's a continuation. Uh, second one, a hard day's night. I feel that's like more of a, of a one shot as we see, you know, a day to day, what uh, Moon Knight goes through and where he goes to kind of relax and stuff. So that's kind of fun. Uh, the Bloody Red Glider was probably the, I think, the, uh, to be honest, was probably the best artwork. And that one's really gritty. And just uh, you see Moon Knight, you know, just going, you know, fist to fist in that story. It's pretty good. But um, like I said, it's, it's, it's neat that they're doing this. And I guess they're going to keep doing this Black and White uh, and Blood series. But uh, I'm a fan. I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've talked a lot about sort of being tired of these um, limited color palette series um i don't know why they keep doing them but yet they do so i mean if they're going to keep doing them whatever i guess (laughs) Uh, it makes money right yeah yeah i guess so uh all right up next for me uh the ocean will take us number three i know what they did last summer from writer rich duick Carlos Oliveras is the artist manuel pupo is a colorist dave sharp on letters it's another aftershock title uh, basically about a town that um, was dead. You know, uh, everybody had, had kind of moved away and there was no real, you know, jobs there, or opportunity. And uh, this company came in that is doing ecological research on how to basically prevent like climate change and that sort of stuff. And, and they're working with the oceans and trying to keep the ice caps from melting and all, and all that sort of stuff. But there's something going on underneath that surface that is all tied up with this company. And there's this black water and um, this group of kids definitely has kind of a Goonies feel because there's a group, this group of young high school kids who are, they're the only ones that know about the conspiracy and they try to talk to the adults about it. The adults don't really want to hear it or don't believe them. So what exactly is going on and who's behind it is all yet to be determined, but uh, it's fast paced. It's got some really interesting art that definitely feels like it has a man- uh, manga influence, but it's, um, it's very uh, brightly colored. So in that way, you know, manga is typically black and white. So that, that, kind of brings it back to more of a, a Western comic feel, but I really enjoy it. The, the voices, the interactions between these various kids uh, are a lot of fun. Uh, you know, they're not necessarily kids that they're from all different kind of cliques, you know, different groups. Uh, and they're kind of thrown together, brought together by necessity of this conspiracy, but they don't necessarily get along, you know, like there's one of the girls that's part of the group is like really popular head cheerleader, kind of snobby, and a lot of the rest of them are sort of outsiders, you know? Um, and so they're not, they're not kids who would norm under normal circumstances choose to be friends. And I think uh, I really enjoy that from Rich Duick. And yeah, th- that uh, manga and style art is really fat, fantastic as well. So definitely enjoying that one. Uh, all right. Next up from Jay, we have Radiant Black. Uh Latest issues titled Unauthorized. It's from writers Kyle Higgins and Alex Siegel. Uh, now, Kyle, this is Kyle Higgins' book, but he's got a co-writer on this particular issue. Uh, and I'd love that it's Alex Siegel because Siegel was the one that used to write Cowl. 
or that did write Cal with, with Kyle Higgins when it came out from Image uh, many years ago. Uh, so it's great to see him back working with Kyle again. The art in this issue is by Eduardo Ferragato and Marcella Costa. And then we have Igor Monti on colors and uh, Becca Carey on letters with a color assist by Sabrina Del Grosso. Uh, what'd you think of this one? A fun story. Uh, I've always been a fan of Radiant Black. Um, so it's almost, I, this, I guess it would be my second book of the week because I just like the character. And this one's just a really fun, fun issue. Uh, we see that uh, Marshall and Nathan still have a connection. I won't say how, but they still have like a major connection still going on. Um, there's uh i'm not giving away because it tells you in the in the little preview thing that there's a uh an authorized like a movie being made about radiant black so you got marshall more upset about that they're doing it without you know without his you know permission because you know he's like oh you know uh, copyrights my money <laughs> so you know how that goes because he's a little different uh mindset than the nathan is uh it's fun uh the ending we kind of get like a you know, uh, another uh, enemy, I guess you would say. It's just a fun story. Uh, I was was one of the folks, one of the books I really look forward to uh, each month when they, when I get it. And like I said, it's definitely be my second book of the week. I just like the uh, interaction between the two best friends and just the whole concept of it. And I guess the rating world we're talking about earlier, it's just getting bigger and bigger because now we have uh, Radiant Red and we have other characters. So it's got their own little, uh, I guess, uh, MCU universe going on in, uh, in image world. And I like that a lot too. Yeah. Did you, so that, you know, he's talking about this movie. Did you watch the movie? I'm sorry. What did you watch the movie? No. Oh, you missed, you didn't watch the movie. That was the best part. So yes, in in, so in the context of the story, they are filming this movie. Um, But what's really cool is in the middle, or it might be more, a little more toward the end. um, There is a picture of Radiant Black and this character, who's a character we've seen before in previous Kyle Higgins and Alex Siegel work. Um, I won't spoil who it is, but uh, that's the that's the movie that's being made, right? Like a, a fight, like the movie's called Versus, and these two characters are fighting. And toward the end of the book, there's a double page splash, and there's a QR code on that double page splash. And if you scan the QR code, you can watch this five and a half minute animated movie um, of of Radiant Black fighting this character, and it is really really well done. And it's not like they got like some no name people to voice the characters either. No, <laughs> the guy that does the voice um, for Batman beyond like the Batman beyond cartoon, Will Friedel, he's the one that does the voice for Radiant black. So he's like a big name in, in voiceover or whatever. So um, yeah, definitely make sure you scan that code, scan that QR code. And it, it basically, it takes you to a YouTube channel um, where you can watch the movie. Uh, and it, it's just, it, yeah, it's fun. And what I came away thinking is, and I, I wonder, I, there's part of me that wonders like, so did Kyle decide to do this? Cause you know, they're always doing crazy stuff. Uh, you know, Kyle's talked so many times about wanting to take big swings with radiant black and, you know, they did, you know, they, they, we thought Marshall was, or uh, Nathan was dead at one point you know, the main, the main, the, who you thought was the main character of the story shifted after issue four, like all this crazy stuff, the black light issue. Um, so I, I wonder if Kyle did this, cause it couldn't have been cheap. 
because again, the production values of this are, are really high. And Kyle did go to film school and he has directed things before. Uh, but you wonder, did he do this as to show sort of proof of concept of how fantastic a radiant black cartoon would be? Because that's what I came away thinking like, oh my God, can we please get a radiant black cartoon? Like stat, it's so good. It's so good. So anyway, well, you, you're going you're gonna to watch it when we stop recording. <laughs> Yeah, I can't uh, believe I only, missed that. Yeah, it's only five minutes. You're going to watch it, and then you're going to text me, and you're going to be like, oh, my God, that was so awesome. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, all right. Next book I'm going to mention is Seven Sons, Part 1, written by Robert Wyndham and Kelvin Mao. Art is by Jay Lee. Colors are by June Chung. Letters by Simon Bolin. This one's really out there. Very religious. It, it, the name comes from the whole myth of the seventh son of a seventh son. So supposedly, back in the day, there was this myth that if a seventh son of a seventh son was born, he would have like these powers or what have you. And so this is a kind of an alternate version of America where that myth held, you know, a lot of power. And there was at one point something called a miracle that happened. I won't spoil what the miracle was, um, but it definitely created this sort of theocracy, you know, this, this kind of world almost a world government, it seems like, where this this religion um, colors all aspects of life and they've kind of commercialized it and monetized it. And in a way, it's a very, a very cynical world, um, but a world based on religion. Um, and it definitely has a, a certain aesthetic. Now, the, I'm not a fan of Jay Lee's art at all. Um, and I feel like it's definitely a choice to choose to, to have him do the interiors on this because he didn't do interiors that much anymore. And um, I don't know, like his art can be, it uses very fine lines and he uses really tiny eyes. And that's what really freaks me out about his art. Um, so it definitely establishes a certain aesthetic. I will give him a lot of credit for, using interesting panel layouts much more interesting than he's ever done before um but i just i wonder if he's the right choice for this i mean i'm not going to second guess the creators here obviously again this was a choice that they made and they feel like this is the aesthetic they want but i don't know maybe it's just a personal thing because i I don't care for his style that much that uh, i would be much more interested in this if it was a different artist that being said it it is still super interesting if not a little bit, um, a little bit dense and a little bit, uh, I don't, don't want to say depressing, but man, you know, religion and especially in this country, um, like the religious right, you know, it's all intertwined with conservatism, and so it kind of, it's not the quite the escapism that he would want. Um, by reading this book, because it kind of reminds me of that. Um, but that being said, it is an interesting idea, and I, I'm interested in in some of the myths and conspiracies and backstabbing that's going to happen in this book. So I think I'll, you know, I always say you got to give a new series at least two or three issues. So I'll be back for another one. Uh, all right, and then the last book I'm going to talk about is my book of the week. It completely blew me away. Uh, the first issue was so fun. It's 8 billion genies. It's from Charles soul and Ryan Brown uh, written by soul art colors, design and cover by Ryan Brown letters by Chris crank. The whole premise is, you know, 8 billion genies all appear 
on earth at the same time, one for every human on earth and every human on earth is given one wish. And that'll happen in the first issue. And um, we had met this, uh, this bar owner and some patrons of his bar and the band that was going to play there that night. And the, the, uh, the owner of the bar is this very wise, if not paranoid guy, like one of the survivalist types. And so in the back of his bar, he had all this equipment, you know, like food and protective uh, equipment and weapons and all that kind of stuff in his bar. He can lock it down. And right away when he, when the genies explain in issue one about everyone's going to get a wish, his, he wishes that nobody's wish affects anybody inside the bar or can in any way harm anybody inside the bar. So, you know, right away things start going wrong. There's fires, there's giant robots, there's, you know, all kinds of disasters because people just wish for dumb stuff and don't think about the consequences, but this bar is like this little safe haven. So that all happens in the first issue. The second issue picks up right where the first issue left off with, you know, we get to see some, some more of the terrible things that are going on and we start to get a little more context into the characters that are in the bar with uh, them trying to decide what they're going to wish for. And the genie's kind of explaining a little more how the wishes, um, how the wishes work. And they, you know, they do ask like, you know, why, why are the genies there? How do they get their power? Where does that stuff come from? Same, same questions we have uh, as, as readers. Um, And I won't spoil anything about what happens when uh, those guys ask those questions. So it's a heck of a lot of fun. Um, There's, Somebody from a previous uh, Charles Soul run, a Charles Soul series that shows up here that I, it was very fun to see. Uh, the art by Ryan Brown. I mean, if, if you read Curse Words, this is the same creative team. So you'll know how fantastic the art is. So the, it's just so much fun and it's such a brilliant idea. And um, I love that we get a lot of answers. It's only a second issue. But Charles has already given us answers to a lot of the questions that you know, you're asking yourself, well, you know, if 8 billion people have a wish, what happens when wishes contradicts each other and that, that sort of thing, he doesn't shy away from anything, man, th- this is a huge story in scope. Like you literally could almost tell a story about every single one of those 8 billion wishes. Um, but I think two issues in, they're doing a good job of giving us a big overview while focusing on some specific characters that we've met along the way so far. And the art's fantastic. And the genies are little and blue and cute. So uh, all right, let's give a rundown on some other books you might want to be on the lookout for today. Um, so I think we talked about all the Aftershock titles, um, but I will mention that Chicken Devil has its volume one trade paperback coming out today. And that that's a title that Jay and I both really, really enjoyed. So if you're, you're a fan of stuff like Breaking Bad, where... Um, some random guys thrown into the shit. <laughs> You'll definitely uh, want to check that out because it's a it's a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, from Boom, I want to mention Grim Number Two from friend of the show Stephanie Phillips. That book is out. Uh, we don't get uh, preview copies for Boom stuff, so I'm really excited to get my hands on that and check it out. Uh, from DC again, uh, go listen to our DC Spotlight to hear about these books. Batgirls Number Seven, Batman Urban Legends Number Sixteen. Uh, DC Pride Tim Drake Special Number One, Future State Gotham Fourteen, I Am Batman Number Ten, Jurassic League Number Two of Six, 
Naomi Season 2, Number 4 of 6, Sandman Universe Nightmare Country, Number 3, Superman Son of Kal-El, Number 12, and Wonder Woman, Number 788 are all out from DC uh, this week. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the books that we talked about, King Spawn, Number 11, uh, Savage Dragon, Number 262, and Walking Dead Deluxe, Number 41, hits comic shops today as well. Uh, from Marvel, talked about a lot of stuff, but there uh, is more <laughs> out there this week for Marvel. Hulkling and Wiccan, number one, uh, written by Josh Trio. Um, had a little bit of a manga feel in the art uh, of that one as well. Uh, Iron Fist, number four of five, limited series from writer Alyssa Wong is out. We've got uh, Marvel's number 11, uh, Spider-Gwen, Gwenverse, number three of five, Spider-Man 2099, Exodus number two, Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 24, What If Miles Morales number four of five, that one's What If Miles Morales had become Thor, uh, and then over in the X-Men corner, we've got Wolverine number 22 and X-Men Red number three. Uh, over at uh, Titan Comics, I wanted to mention there's a, a big soft cover collection. It's Star Wars The Mandalorian Guide to season two of volume one soft cover. So if you're a big fan of that series, might want to take that, uh, check that out. And uh, over at vault, we ride Titans number four and West of sundown number three. Uh, anything else you want to mention out this week, Jay? Yeah. You went over the boom, right? Uh, Grand number two is out today. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Grand number two. Yep. I'm, that was gonna say, I'm surprised that we didn't get that one. Cause I love that story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I've asked before about getting boom previews, but, um, yeah, for whatever reason, they didn't respond, but, uh, yeah, the first issue was, was really, really fun. And Stephanie Phillips was on the show to talk about, uh, the first issue right before it dropped. So highly, highly recommend that series. So anyway, that's going to do it for this, uh, episode bunny mask was Jay's book of the week, uh, along with radiant black. And, uh, mine was, uh, 8 billion genies. Number two can't go wrong with any of those books. So be sure you get out to your comic shop and pick up some fantastic comics this week. And uh, as always, we appreciate everybody listening and your support. And we will talk to you next time. All right. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.